how are you doing? I'm very good, thanks. How's your Qatar? It's fine. It's, it's all cleared up nicely. Very, very good. Yeah, very long way to go for a little bit of a break, I suppose. But apparently they're refreshed and, and feeling great for their six-star luxury hotel. Last time Anderson went to the Middle East, he got a posh dinner and Instagrammed, thousand pounds for this shit, fuck this, I go to McDonald's. Uh, yeah, the whole Qatar thing, it's slightly odd. Last season was Glen Eagles and it was an absolute disaster. Destroyed our form, I think it's fair to say. This one obviously is much more about commerce than practicality. I don't, I'm not a scientist, but to me it seems like a slightly odd thing to do to take the team off for a, a blast of hot weather training when they're going to have to come back and play in the freezing cold on Saturday. Well, I think it's one of those newfangled remedies, isn't it? It's like having a sauna and then diving into an icy pond. It's good for the lymphatic system, but that's in, you know, that's in short, because the lymphatic system doesn't, unlike the circulatory system, it doesn't have its own engine, so you have to move it by stretching, or one of the other things that moves it is if the sympathetic nervous system contracts and expands suddenly, which is why the heat and cold thing is good. But I'm not sure that works by if you go to Qatar for a week. The height of luxury as well. Can't hurt, can it? It might have done it for them. The one thing that I can say I was honestly, truly, genuinely proud of was uh, Robin Van Persie in Bugs Bunny pyjamas. Have you done any investigative journalism on the subject? No. Have have you? Yeah, a tiny, tiny, tiny bit, by which I mean I looked at my Twitter feed, and somebody suggested that that may be that those are pyjamas which are given away on Turkish airlines in first class. I can't believe it's that simple. I like to believe it's an elaborate Patrice Evra Anderson co-conspiracy of some kind. Very noticeable that Paul Scholes and Ryan Giggs had a very, very different one on. That kind of ruins the it's given away in first class thing. I mean, you know, I've done a fair few first class trips, not in Turkish Airlines, mind you, so you you do get pyjamas of varying colours. I've never had Bugs Bunny. Never. I'm a bit jealous, to be fair. They did look really super comfy, those pyjamas, and it was nice to see. uh, uh, Patrice and uh, Anderson looked slightly more into it than Robin Van Persie, who did look a bit grumpy about the whole thing, I have to say. Nick Powell and Alex Bootner and the other players pictured in Bugs Bunny pyjamas and that, as far as we know, that's as far as it went. You don't think Fergie had some? No, I, I suspect Fergie probably had the boring grown-up pyjamas that Skulls and Gigs were wearing. I like, I like the idea that there's a sort of two-tier system of, like, fun-loving youngsters and serious old footballers at United. Hmm. Of course, 20 years on Wednesday since Paul Skulls signed his first professional contract. There's always an anniversary around the corner, isn't there, with Skulls and Gigs? Giggs didn't sign a contract on the same day. He, he was uh, a few years earlier. Skull signed his first pro contract with David Beckham, Nicky Butt, uh, Gary Neville and Ben Thornley. What a glorious career he had of Thornley. I mean, it, it does it does have to be one of the most extraordinary groups of players all to sign professional terms on the same day, doesn't it, in history? How many caps has Beck, Skulls and Neville got between them? Uh, 340. Yeah, a lot, basically, yeah. Pretty incredible stuff, and uh, he st- keeps on going. He-, he won't be here next season, will he, Scalzi? But he'll be in charge of the reserves or something like that, surely. We hope so. He'll be a pyjama model by-, by that point. Mm, classy stuff. Of course, there was some football this week. Uh, amid all the pyjama wearing and luxury out in Qatar, uh, United went to Spurs, and, and uh, it was a draw that felt like a defeat. Not to me. I, I didn't. I wasn't quite as saddened by it as everybody seemed to be. I mean, obviously the manner of it was really sort of galling because it happened so last minute and everything. But you know, it was a fair result, and I was left with a sense that a point from White Hart Lane felt like a good point. 
It's interesting, reading the coverage afterwards, you'd have thought United had been battered, wouldn't you? So it was it, it was a really tough game. Uh, again, United struggled in the second half. It's becoming a little bit of a pattern recently, isn't it? And uh, in the end, Spurs got the point. They probably deserved from the, the play. I mean, had an awful lot of possession of the ball and, and uh, dominated the, the territory, I suppose. United barely created any chances all game. But, but you know, got a point. Look, taking that from before the game, I, I guess losing the goal in the last minute of the game is pretty galling. But... We do it to enough teams that, you know, it's got to come round sometimes, hasn't it? Yeah, and I mean, I don't know, it was it was, a, it was an odd game because in the first half we looked really good in parts and actually, I know, I keep saying this every week, but another absolutely fantastic goal scored by United. A, another brilliant team goal, the, the build-up play for that goal. It just felt like it had goal written all over it from the time they got the ball. You know, it was, it was really spectacularly good uh, team play. But there were not too many chances created were there well certainly not from United no I mean very very few indeed and uh, I think there's something like four or five shots on target it was a really very low number from United and one, one of those games where United had to dig in and in fact demonstrated one of the things we've been quite critical of the team for this season is the ability to defend you know actually defended pretty well Owing in no small part to David De Gea's you know, excellent performance and perhaps stopped for four or five really good Tottenham chances. Yeah, and also, you know, we've we've talked a lot about how the problem is systemic defensively rather than personnel-oriented, but you have to say that Vidic and Ferdinand have played together twice now and they looked extremely solid as a two once again. They just know each other's game so well. But Vidic and De Gea still don't know each other's game. I think that's quite clear to see. And let, let's get into it then I mean obviously when I put out the shout for Twitter questions there were a lot of mentions of De Gea but I, I suppose everybody knows we're going to talk about this uh, the whole every Manchester United right back ever has uh, had a dig at De Gea in the past week as far as I can make out uh, statistically speaking if you're a Man United right back you have done something in the public uh, eye uh, criticising De Gea I mean, you know, a huge fan of Gary Neville as a pundit. Wonderful. I really like his microanalysis. I think it's really interesting and sheds light on particularly interesting bits of the game that we don't get anywhere else in football. Lots of Reds annoyed with him for turning on one of our own, but, you know, you can't praise him for his impartiality one day and turn on him the next. But he is a bit of a xenophobe, is old Gaz, I think it's fair to say. You know, he, he definitely prefers prefers an English player to a non-English player. That's a really interesting point because would he have had a go at Joe Hart in the same way? Hart has made plenty of mistakes in recent times. Plenty. And I have to say, I think he probably wouldn't. No, and also, I'm not sure I fundamentally agree with his analysis. I mean, not just because he said Vidic is not looking at him because he fancies him. De Gea's a handsome chap. Don't draw that conclusion so soon, Gary. But, you know, just actually because Vidic was standing right in his way, it was a weak punch because the momentum of his jump went out. I thought actually a few minutes before that, he there was a really powerful punch that he punched right out of the box, and I actually thought that was a pretty big mistake because he did that under very little pressure and definitely should have probably gone for the catch but it was a good punch nonetheless so the thing is there are three or four mistakes in this whole build-up uh, the fact that Raphael is well out of position uh, there's no one stopping the cross Vidic backs into his own keeper when he clearly should have cleared that area keeper's got a pretty rubbish punch on it of course but if it's gone six inches to the left it's missed Lennon it's clear so that's that's how fine the margins were of course, a mistake from, from De Gea, who probably should have done better, but not one that every goalkeeper on the planet hasn't made at one time or another in their career. 
I think the reaction has been, it's, it has been genuinely ridiculous. It got to the point after reading the seventh or eighth article uh, that was suggesting that uh, United really had to uh, sell the hair right now before I kind of thought, you know what? It's not just there's an agenda here. There's a joyfulness in this agenda. It, it just seemed ridiculous. You know, I know how it works. So a negative headline gets readership. It's, there's a lot of appeal in that. Uh, and a critical piece also, too, will provoke a reaction. And it's easy. Uh, and there's definitely a herd mentality that absolutely is in, in the media world because you, you follow trends, right? And the, the trend has been to, uh, A, heavily criticise David O'Hare for his performance, which is insane given how many excellent saves he made. B, they've gone further in that there's been a widespread suggestion that United have to get rid in order to win the league title this season. And that Anders Lindegaard must come in right now, and and the questioning of of Alex Ferguson is that if that doesn't happen, and 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 I'm suggesting right now that many of these pundits have not seen Lindegaard play, are jumping on a bandwagon, may even be writing against better instinct, and I think Gary Neville, you know, Richard Key said this week he was likely he was sent out to have a go at the hair. The producer would have told him to do that. You know, I'm not sure whether that's true or not, but came from left field you know that was a very very harsh neville uh, I, there's absolutely no way he would have gone to that level if he was criticizing english an english player none at all no uh, paul parker of course uh, dropping the latin keepers bomb yeah well, well well paul parker was just basically racist you know S- switch latin for black and, and tell me that's acceptable it was a very badly written and constructed article. The thing that I genuinely don't understand about this is the difference between what I think I'm seeing and the the media narrative. And what you've said kind of makes some sense of it, that it's, it is herd mentality. It is just an agenda propelling itself. The problem is there is then a cyclical effect of that where the player's confidence gets, you know, he could, he could easily get caught up in that negative cycle and every mistake gets criticised and intensely studied one of the things that's really interesting is he's basically been mistake free for weeks and weeks on end United have got loads and loads of points not in no small part due to the fact that De Gea is a really excellent part of the spine of our team starts a load of moves distribution what you know what I mean the whole thing just you know he's been he's been brilliant De Gea has and this is like the first time they've got all this like pent up juice of like that you know the fact that what's his name said he was a jelly in that first the very first game he played for United Patrick Barkley that's it so since then that agenda's been set and they haven't been able to drop that agenda and actually the evidence has proved the opposite to be the case and then here's a one kind of flashpoint of like oh no no maybe we're right maybe we can push this agenda but I, you know apart from getting clicks and selling papers they don't earn they don't ben- it doesn't benefit them if De Gea leaves and Begovic comes in or we signed Victor Valdez or something you know the ridiculous Pepe Reina the ridiculous goalkeepers we've been linked with there is barely a goalkeeper in world football I would swap De Gea for. There's no goalkeeper in world football anywhere that I've seen that has potential like that. It's not the be-all and end-all, but you just watch that. Sean from Beautifully Red put together a fantastic five gifts of De Gea's best moments of the season, and they are on another planet amazing. The level of talent this kid has got, and the fact that the confidence is growing, and the mistakes are fewer, and the dominance in the box is growing, and, you know, physically, it's it's not there yet, but it will come. I truly baffled that anyone would think that United would actually get rid of De Gea. Well, they, they won't, not, not on the basis of that. I mean, I can't believe Ferguson would be that reactionary. I, 
I don't think you'll play the weekend in the FA Cup, of course. I think Linda Gunn will come in for that. For different reasons, it will probably be labelled as De Gea dropped, which is bordering basically on a lie. So the other interesting thing about this is, of course, Lindegaard has escaped criticism of any you know, nature. I mean, he's, he was brought in for three and a bit million pounds. Much, much lower profile. Didn't play for a, a large European club beforehand doesn't have the kind of profile of girlfriend being Spanish and, and all of that. And yet I, I can think of uh, goals against uh, Gareth Bale and Clint Dempsey. Two there, he should have done better. David Luiz for Chelsea's Daniel Sturridge. The, off the top of my head, there's four I can think of that De Gea would have stopped for sure. And the, the problem with Lindegaard, he hasn't made the same kind of high profile mistakes. He's just not as good. There's an interesting thing with De Gea where people say, oh, he pushes the ball out. I actually think he's too good in some circumstances and he gets his hand on balls that he has no right to do and he does push it into dangerous areas as a result where he wouldn't be criticised if the ball just hit the corner. Absolutely, and the one against Defoe, and, and he didn't score, but it was he, a, a decent chance was created for him when he pushed the ball out. But actually, he pushed the ball out to not central into the middle of where where the danger area was. He pushed it out wide, but that's where Defoe was attacking the ball from. So you know, it wasn't wasn't even a mistake, and he got criticised for it. I mean, he makes mis- if he makes a mistake and it's worthy of analysis and criticism, then that's fine as well. You don't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be like defended to the hell under all circumstances and I'm, I'm not big on like a, a random siege mentality but I do feel a sense of defensiveness around De Gea which I feel like it's slightly merited I feel like it's it's be- it's not because he's a United player or whatever it's because the player that I see every game he plays is not the player that I see reflected in the media coverage in the slightest yeah completely yeah it's completely true I suppose it's a it's a facet of, of being a United player that the, the scrutiny is much, much higher. I'll bring it back to Joe Hart again. I, I would say he's made more more mistakes than De Gea this season. You know, plenty more, in fact. He's not having a good season at all. And, and the criticism has been zero. There is a xenophobic undertone to the coverage, and f- absolutely for sure. I mean, it, it comes out uh, in certain issues, you know. It happens to be here, but it's more prominent when the diving issue or managers, you know, non-British managers, get criticised significantly more by our media here, you know. And I, I think it's pretty embarrassing, to be honest. But it's almost a whole other debate, isn't it? I, I think uh, we'll be absolutely fine with De Gea uh, if, for some reason, Ferguson had some kind of stroke and sold him. He'll, he'll head off to a, another major club in Europe and be an absolute fantastic keeper and and we will have lost out as a result yeah interesting because you know Liverpool fans always talk about how Suarez is going to be hounded out of Britain by the media coverage and you can't help being just very slightly concerned that how much is De Gea really going to be enjoying playing under these conditions I know De Gea stole a donut from Tesco but you know there's no there's no need to start making that comparison with Suarez (laughs) he's a clean living boy Suarez the ear biting daft racist that he is yeah, the performance overall, very difficult to perform at high level athletically when it's snowing, if you're not a ski jumper or whatever. You know what I mean? It's cold, man. The pitch was, like, incredibly heavy, made for brilliant photographs afterwards, but it can't have been much fun to play on. No, I'm sure did very well to keep the game on, I think. I mean, given the the, uh, the, the rush to health and safety concerns that normally is around football and heavy snow in London for the few days beforehand, and they, they managed to get the pitch clean and... and and the area surrounding the ground safe enough for people to turn off, and and it was difficult conditions for the player, but, you know, they created a good game in the end, I thought, and, and difficult for United, but difficult for Tottenham too, so. Oh, we haven't talked about the penalty. Rooney should have had a penalty. 
well, obviously, you know, there's no doubt about that. It just took his heels out. So very, very poor mistake from the linesman there who's closest to it and the referee too. I don't think there's really an excuse for missing that one. Ferguson had a go at the linesman in pretty hard terms, I thought, you know, bo- really bordered on it. I mean, you're allowed to criticise the performance as long as you don't uh, criticise their impartiality. He was very close, you know, he said, he, he mentioned, of course, the Drogba incident three years ago at Old Trafford when Drogba was significantly offside, and I think the problem with Ferguson's statement was that he actually said, we have history with this man, and it, it kind of suggested that there might be a element of bias. It depends how you interpret that, of course. Yeah, because you could easily interpret it as a mistake. I and mean, we have a history of him making high-profile mistakes. Absolutely, which, of course, will be the defence. Yeah. Talking of the defence, a decent sort of defensive performance. Not a brilliant midfield performance, but Carrick and Cleverly still... I've got no reason to think that's not the way forward. Interesting to see Phil Jones in central midfield. And, I have to say, many people's man of the match, a fine all-round performance, can definitely do some sort of job in midfield. Have you got a different view? Did you not enjoy him in midfield? I know you normally don't. I thought he did okay, you know. I don't think he's any better than that in midfield. I've, yeah, I've got to be honest, right? You know, United were on the back foot for most of that second half. So as a defensive performance, yeah, United did well as a unit. You know, Jones was part of that. Yeah, that's true. But he, he does offer something going forward for midfield as well with his sort of odd bombastic marauding quality. And going forward, Van Persie, very quiet game, took his goal well, but didn't get much in the way of service. Welbeck, uh, industrious, but not particularly effective. Although, again, he was pretty devoid of service. Kagawa in the first half I thought was excellent actually really good distribution really involved especially in that the build up for that goal it was you know it was a, a very Kagawa at number 10 sort of goal wasn't it it was a lot of a lot of passing a lot of movement a very kind of dynamic and exciting free flowing attack which that that's the kind of football we've got to play to get the best out of him and then when Rooney came on it was so so poor just really couple of really bad passes and just looks off the pace and I'm sure we'll be back, he'll be back and in excellent form, but but wasn't particularly impressive against Tottenham, I have to say. Well, he's he's not fit, is he? I mean, he he needs to play against Fulham for sure in the cup. I, I know there's a there'll be some rotation. We'll get onto the Fulham game in a bit, but uh, he he needs those games. He he always suffers after coming back from injury, doesn't he? Always, it takes him a long time to get ready and and sharp. And and as we know, bad Rooney is very very bad. I think that the substitution really for Kagawa after about 65 minutes, my friend Joe at Joe Diego 24 called that one a few minutes before it happened and it did feel very logical at the time. But in a way, it's a shame that Anderson didn't come on because I think it would have been, it would have actually worked better. But I think that's very much a hindsight decision and, and it felt like a brilliant option to have Rooney to come on at, at that point we really got sucked into defending incredibly deep and uh, it felt really panicky for a long time and I sort of thought we'd done it but then and it, obviously it broke bad uh, for a minute there and some, some pretty poor defending after after a lot of very good and pretty heroic defending it was, it was uh, a shame that it ended that way but it did and we're still five points clear and we've played almost all the hardest fixtures we've got to play of the season so far in fact I'd say we've definitely played all the hardest fixtures haven't we? Right, and that's a really key thing here. Yes, uh, yes, the lead has been cut, but uh, United have been to Tottenham, to Liverpool, to Chelsea, to Manchester City. You know, it looks good from a fixture point of view, I guess, from the second half of the season. We haven't been to Arsenal. That's the one that we've got still to come. But is that really, really, really such a tough game nowadays? 
Well, who knows? I mean, did very well in midweek, of course, thrashing West Ham. But yeah, blow hot and cold that club, uh, that side. And, and uh, yeah, no longer a threat for the title, of course, long, long time since that has happened. Uh, of course, yeah, a side that really does expect to be a threat for the title, although maybe not, you know, on the border. Depends whether you believe Rafa or not. He's cracking up. Chelsea knocked out of the League Cup in pretty bizarre circumstances. Yeah, the night before it was even more bizarre as uh, Bradford from the fourth division, lest we forget, calling it League Two sort of makes it sound a bit more elevated than it was, but they destroyed an incredibly subpar Aston Villa. Yeah, mid, mid-table mid fourth division as well. Uh, finished 18th in the fourth division last season. Quite incredible, yeah. But plucky Villa nearly pulled off a shock, didn't they? <laughs> they did. Uh, and goodness knows what's happening at that club. And you'd have to say that Lambert's probably on very, very thin ice. It's a cup run that was, you know, would have done wonders for his situation at that club. But instead, it's backfired really badly. And what was really interesting about that game to me was in the last 10 minutes not even 10 in the last 20 minutes Villa looked tactically absolutely hopeless he just literally put all his front players on and they were all standing on in a line on the edge of the 18 yard box with sort of half the pitch between them and the nearest Villa player and all Villa could do was lump it forward which surely is not what you want to do against League 2 opposition well right they went very agricultural didn't they yeah they did a fascinating couple of ties. I mean, don't normally talk about the League Cup on here because United normally knocked out by some <laughs> lower division side after playing the kids. But a really fascinating competition this season. Swansea v Bradford, because one of them will be heading into Europe, which is quite incredible, really, given where both of those clubs have come from. But there's a little incident in this, this Chelsea-Swansea game. Just a, just a tiny little one that we should probably talk about. Kicking her lad, kicking her lad. What he loves most is kicking her lad. Oh, dear. Eden Hazard. Kicking children is not acceptable. Edward, I do not believe it is okay for footballers to kick ball boys, regardless of the circumstances. Discuss. Yeah, n- not not the first time a Chelsea player's gone in hard on a kid, though, is it? Oh, know what that means, and I'm, I don't think I want to know. I mean, I guess Ashley Cole shot that guy that time. That was pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, okay. Totally. I, fi- I find this quite binary for me. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a reactionary when it comes to, to stuff like this, but I don't see how you can defend this in any circumstances. It doesn't matter if he's aiming at the ball. He just kicked the guy in the ribs. Great, great play acting from the, the kid there. Clearly been watching his heroes on TV. And, and yes, he was time-wasting, but haven't ball boys time-wasted since the dawn of ball boys? Because I, I'm pretty sure they did. I remember it very clearly when I, I was small and not a ball boy. The thing is, there's a lot going on with this. It's not really. There's not really a lot going on. There's really not. The the player kicked a a 17-year-old kid on the pitch. Yeah, and he was lucky he was 17. That's like, that makes it slightly more, I'm not saying it's acceptable, but like, you know, in terms of the way this story could have broke for Eden Hazard, the fact that that kid turns out to have LAD in capital letters in his Twitter bio, incidentally he's up to 100,000 followers now, it's really upsetting in so many ways. More, more followers than Swansea's official football Twitter account. So the kid's kind of obnoxious, he's the, the, the son of the director of Swansea, he literally was coming out of retirement for one more job because other ball boys couldn't get to the game. So that's why a 17-year-old's ended up a ball boy. He said, um, need, he, he did hashtag needed, hashtag for, hashtag the, hashtag time-wasting. So it was premeditated time-wasting. Of course. So what? You know what? It's, it's not the player's decision to officiate on that. It's the referee who just adds on more time. 
Absolutely, absolutely, and this is this is the thing that that gets lost. Okay, first of all, I've seen so many people saying he didn't kick him; he got the ball, as if it's a tackle. It's a ball boy. <laughs> you can't tackle a ball boy. <laughs> Just an accidental follow through, you know. I mean, mind, mind you, I mean, this ball boy is hilarious. Like, like, his Twitter feed is is pretty good, you know. He, he describes himself as lad, as you said, and a hustler. And and there's this whole piece where he's going on about, you know, putting on black at the casino. And he, he doesn't do the coins, only paper, you know, because <laughs> yeah, that's how high rolling this kid is. I literally would almost rather be friends with Eden Hazard than this ball boy. And that is saying something. And, and okay, there's, there's another thing in Hazard's defence, which is muscle memory. Under moments of tension, the human body defaults to muscle memory. And a player lying on top of the ball, the muscle memory for a professional footballer is to kick the ball out from under the player. That's stupid, it's petulant, it's, it's ignorant, it's, it's not, there's no intellect put into that. But that's what happens. So, you know, it's defensible in that sense. It's not like Cantona fly-kicking... I saw a lot of United fans saying, you know, he should get a ban the same length. And you cannot compare the two offences. But at the same time, the people saying he shouldn't have been sent off. What are they on, Ed? Mainly the Chelsea fans or ex-footballers. Pat Nevin, uh, who said he would 100% done the same. Joey Barton said the only crime was that Hazard hadn't kicked him hard enough. Joey Barton! He's the Twitter's best troll, isn't he? He is. Stroke footballer. Yeah, he's a foot troll, isn't he? That's... uh... But yeah, it's mental. Chelsea's official football club saying what's has football gone mad on their official Twitter feed. Ah, uh, yes, new, new official policy is, is as well as you know promoting racism is uh, kicking children. Yeah, nice. Child kicking is now acceptable. They did apologise for that tweet, but it felt pretty hollow. And um, Benitez saying you know the kid had been influenced by Big Brother culture, and it shows that there's a problem with our society. And for once, I 100% agree with Benitez. Oh, yeah. I mean, the fact that the kids, like, grabbed his side and rolled over a few times. <laughs> exactly. The whole incident definitely demonstrates there's something wrong with society in that the kid was feigning injury and then the professional footballer kicked a ball boy. Great stuff. Great stuff. Hazard will get a ban, of course. He'll get at least the three matches. And it, it may be more. It depends on how much the FA wants to react. Of course, a lot of people uh, came out with the what if it was Rooney argument, which, which I have to say is a fairly fair one you know because I, I think given that Rooney got a two-match ban for for saying what f- what into a camera the kicking a ball boy ought to get quite a bit more than that at white Pelo 10 is going to very much enjoy the fact that you've sworn quite a lot on the rank cast this week the the one link that i guess we can the very tenuous link to united but i was thinking stuff like this doesn't really happen at united yeah all right so apart from that one time when eric flood kicked a fan but that is different that was special really actually genuinely there was a weird iconographic magic in that and it was somehow uh, i don't know there was something special about that but you know fergie would not allow for all his faults there is a some sort of culture of, of respect at united i think you, you you can't see a united player kicking a ball boy can you well, no. Maybe Hazard should have employed that defence. Maybe he should have said the, the ball boy abused him, you know, made fun of his Belgian accent or something. <laughs> I tell you what, the, the, the defence Hazard could use is like, I was a nice person and then I ended up at Chelsea and it all went really terribly wrong because there is something wrong with Chelsea Football Club something there are many many things wrong with chelsea football club anyway we, we should move on from this nastiness yeah you know let's i'm sure there'll be some more drama at the weekend uh, it just won't involve eden hazard because he'll be uh, sat on the sidelines for a while um it's the transfer window and there have been transfers 
As we record this, Wilfried Zahar is not uh, yet a Manchester United player. How do you pronounce it, Ed? Do you know? I'm sure it's Wilfried, isn't it? Is it Wilfried? I guess Wilfried. Wilfried Zahar. Apparently, people think he's good. Some people are very excited that we've signed him. As as we said on the show last week, neither of us have seen her. Well, I've become an expert in a week. I really have. Have you? <laughs> My office has a Crystal Palace fan right. who, who uh, thinks he's very good, well above anyone else in the division, but he was also rubbing his hands at the, the thought of £15 million, which appears yeah. to be the fee, or well, £10 million up front and another five based on appearances and international stuff and yada, 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 you know? So it's a lot of money for a low division player, as talented as he may be. Yeah, but it's only a little bit more than we spent on Bebe. So he he doesn't have to be that good, does he? Twice as much. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, if he's twice as good as Bebe, I'll be satisfied then on that basis. Mind you, I'm twice as good as Bebe. Um, Talking of which, we've we've had a few uh, Twitter questions. And one of them came from at Eaton Trey, who asked whether either of us play football in a league at the moment. Or uh, if not, I don't think either of us do, do we, Ed? Nah, bad knees. I haven't played football for a a while. I I did when I was younger. School, team, local league stuff. I was never very good at at any of my many positions. I used to rate you really highly when you were eight and I was six. You were like the best footballer I knew at that point, but, you know. Small sample size, I'd say. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Your best position I always felt was in goal, but you never really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, it was just a bit dull, wasn't it? You know, yeah. I was I was a, an enigmatic central midfielder, more in the Jan Molby <laughs> mould. Well, this is true. Um, no, I was I was really really skinny when I was a teenager for a bit, and uh, I didn't play football because I went to a stupid school that didn't play football. But I always really liked it, and uh, I, I I always had a brilliant vision and a almost complete inability to execute that vision. It was it was like a weird curse. I'd have been a great um, Mourinho. Esque, like no good as a player, but then turned out to be a brilliant manager. If I'd if I'd had a career in football, I reckon. Well, you know, it's, it's always football manager. So yeah, no, don't don't play much football these days. A bit like Bebe, really. You know, he's had three games at Rio Ave, not not ripping up any trees. No. Um, and talking of football managers, at Jack Holt asks if Mike Phelan was your dad, what would you buy him for Christmas? Slippers and a cup of hot cocoa, I think. I, I think I would buy him a hat. Because out of all the Manchester United managerial staff, as what I can only assume is a result of some sort of prank, Mike Phelan was not allowed to wear a hat in the snow, and he looked extremely cold. Yeah, and some trousers, although he he didn't have his tight shorts on this time. No, that's good. Uh, Lots and lots and lots of people asking about Zahar and whether he actually makes a replacement for Nani, and I think you, you just cannot say yet right because even if i had seen him week out in week out i don't think i'd feel qualified to say what he'd be like at a level above because you, you really can't always tell can you you certainly can't yeah i mean young players sometimes become great and sometimes don't plenty of examples in the current united squad so uh, who knows i mean as we've mentioned nanny's output is actually very good you know when he plays he's not not playing very much at the moment i think it's uh, very obvious that he's gone right zahar plays out the rest of the season with crystal palace and and nanny is sold in the summer to whoever bids enough and, and united will make a, a small profit on the swap and and zahar comes in and and he'll fight his you know fight for a place in the, in the united squad team yeah I, I wouldn't be surprised if another wide player doesn't come in and summer though because it will leave United quite short you know 
quite sure at the moment. So there's that one, and then Federico Macheda has gone out on loan to VFB Stuttgart. And I do wonder whether this isn't a level above him. You know, yeah. surprised he didn't go somewhere, uh, perhaps in a second division somewhere, whether it's uh, in England or abroad, because Stuttgart are actually you know, half decent side. You know, finished Bundesliga and well up the table last season. Have some decent players, and not sure he'll get a game every week. Oh, my mate Biram Duff is tearing up the Bundesliga, isn't he? So, you know. Overhead kick from like 30 yards the other week. Glorious. Scorching goal, scorching <laughs> yeah. goal. Uh, we've had a question from at RustyUTD, who, in fact, he asked us two questions. One about whether the squad shouldn't have been going to Serbia rather than Qatar uh, due to the climate situation. I can't help thinking there may, may just be a slightly commercial aspect to that decision. But the other point about De Gea, saying if he was playing for the team from four years ago, clean sheet after clean sheet, wouldn't he be being held up as a brilliant goalkeeper? And I do think you have to say one of the reasons De Gea still makes a few shaky mistakes other than his own inexperience is that he's been playing, he's never played behind a settled back four. Absolutely, yeah, complete, completely true. And and of course, the mistakes that uh, he makes are then magnified. I mean, Van der Sar made some pretty horrendous ones in his last sort of, 18 months with the club, including in two Champions League finals. At Bice14, who says he really enjoys the podcast, all the way from the hills of West Virginia, uh, take him home country roads and all that. He says, what do you think we're going to be able to do against Madrid with Young, Injured and Valencia in rubbish form? And we'll talk about that in more detail just before the Madrid game, I guess, will we? Yeah, we will. I mean, it's a very legitimate concern, that one. I assume that United will play diamond in the way leg. The last two United trips to Madrid have been very, very negative. And and on both occasions, Madrid actually weren't playing that well. And I suppose they're not playing well that well at the moment. There's trouble in the Madrid camp. And story in Marca in the last couple of days that Casillas and Ramos told the president that it's either them or Mourinho in the summer. Mourinho is definitely going, isn't he? But they've launched an ultimatum, apparently, on behalf of the squad and furiously denied by the president. And so all sorts of turmoil. Casillas may or may not be fit for that game. It's looking good for United at the moment, I'd say. Yeah, except that, you know, they just played Valencia and battered them 5-0 without even trying. Well, there is that, but uh, don't do they not play Barcelona just before the, the quarterfinal? And, and even if they are miles behind in the league and there'd be a temptation to rest, they can't do it because of uh, understandable rivalry issues. So, you know, I, I think there, there's, uh, there's so much talent in that Madrid squad and side that make them favourites, but, the, the, you know, the stars are aligning a little bit. You know, I'm feeling a little bit more confident. But anyway, we'll talk about this one a bit more when it comes around to it in a couple of weeks' time. At Disco Stu Madrid asked for asked very nicely for a shout out on the podcast. So shout out on the podcast to you, sir. I believe that's that's all our responsibilities in terms of how the the basic principle of the shout out works. Well, this is true, but I think you've opened the floodgates now. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Hey. If you'd like a shout out on the show, tweet at UTD Rankcast and uh, state your preferred sexual position. No, not that last part. All that was fine up until that last part, which was not acceptable, Ed. At the Aardvark Man, talking of not acceptable, says, if Giggsy and Skullsy were two of the seven dwarves, which one would they be? And I, I think, essentially, Giggs wouldn't, Skulls wouldn't be any of the seven dwarves. He'd be the White Rabbit, because he's always late. Another really poor tackle from Skulls the other week. I can't remember if we talked about that on last week's show or not, but... It was definitely an orange, that one. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. If Giggsy was one of the... I think it's got to the point where Giggsy would be Doc, you know, with the white hair and the, the elder statesman position in the squad. 
Very true. Has apparently completed his UEFA Pro license. One of the very few players to have completed that. So while he's still playing, and a, a career in management awaits for sure. One of the very few players to be old enough to finish his UEFA Pro license. That's true. He'll he'll have retired from management before he's retired from playing. I think. So what level? What level does that qualify you to? Is that like you can be a Premier League manager then at that point, right? Yes, absolutely. He's he's now qualified to manage in the Premier League. I mean, of course, like quite a few stories going around that Giggsy could take over at United beyond Ferguson, and that would very much be like putting a learner in charge of an F1 car, uh, even if he has been in the back seat for 25-odd years, or however many years that Ferguson has been in charge and Giggsy has been playing. But I still think this is a, it's a, it's a stretch. He's going to have to go and manage elsewhere first. Giggsy has been in the backseat for 25 years. That's essentially what he spent all his spare time doing, if the rumours are to be believed. Um, (laughs) At bifurcated underscore MUFC asks us a beautiful question. He says, Footy is rife with cliches. Which would you have liked to have smuggled off Twitter in Lineker's personal baggage? Never to be used again. Do you know what I I hate? It's It's not a cliche, I suppose, but it's the likes of. The likes of Scolzi and Giggsy and Nevzi and Fergzi and whatever Z. It, it's just no. not English. Stop it. Stop it now. Uh, it's pretty bad. No, I, I accept that the likes of is pretty bad. I sort of find football cliches weirdly comforting in a way. They're sort of, there's a reason that they've become cliches. You know, I liked Ronglish when he sort of mixed it up. And it, I'll tell you the one I don't like. I don't like Stonewall Penalty. It, it doesn't make sense. I feel like I never heard it at all until the early 2000s and then it became the default way of describing a, a penalty. It's a Stonewall penalty. Is it something to do with the gay rights activist group Stonewall? I, I suspect probably not. Is it, It's not connected to the Stonewall riots in any way. Is it supposed to represent like it's definitely a penalty as much as this thing made out of a stone that's a wall is a wall? I'm really not sure, you know, there's there's Stonewall Jackson, the Confederate general, if, if you're a student of history like me. I'm not really sure it's anything to do with him either. So it's a, it's a, a racist general, is that what we're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's the one I'd get rid of, Stonewall penalty. So Stonewall, pe- the likes of Stonewall penalties are being put into our metaphorical cliche room 101. Uh, Gary Lineker left Twitter abruptly in a haze of speculation, as he said he was leaving for personal reasons. I, if I was properly famous i don't think i could live with a twitter account because the nice thing about twitter is interacting with people so you have to look at your mentions column in order to do that and if you're a well-known person and your mentions column must be just an absolute you know maelstrom of hatred and nonsense yeah yeah lineker's got form of course he's just switched to google plus you know he likes to play it around a little bit that's what it is he's gonna be plus wanting left and right isn't he him and some google employees oh So I guess we need to look forward to the couple of games that we've got coming up in the week ahead. It's the first of two games in a week against the old arch enemy of Man United that is Fulham. You know, tough, fierce rivalry goes back to the roots of the two clubs. And, you know, there's a lot of hatred between the two sets of support. No, none of that's true. Uh, Berbatov's coming home, Ed. Much more excited about this than I am about Ronnie's return. There'll be a tear in the eye. He's going to score, isn't he? He's got to score. You should let him score. I don't think he'll score. I think he'll miss from six yards out because we all love Dimitar, but not a man for the big occasions (laughs) with a couple of exceptions. This is very true. Yeah, maybe he'll be on the bench because that's where he spent most of the big games while he was at United. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, obviously, there are going to be some changes from United. It's the FA Cup. 
Home draw against Fulham. Fulham have got their own priorities as well, so I, I assume there'll be some changes on both sides, probably more from United, and it should be a good game. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. They're in woeful form, having started the season really well. Big Martin Yole not having the best time in charge of Fulham, I think it's fair to say. I and mean, actually, their turnaround in the FA Cup third round games might have been quite crucial for their season, because they really are struggling and... For some reason, Fulham have always been, as long as they've been a Premier League side, have been terrible away from home. I remember Chris Coleman lamenting their abysmal away form when he was in charge, and that feels like a distant dream. It's not like Craven Cottage is a hotbed of atmosphere and uh, attack dogs all, all in the crowd that make it impossible for the away team to play well there, but for some reason, they seem to bask in the luxury of uh, West London comforts and and travelling outside that dainty borough seems to do them more harm than good. Well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, they're not far off the relegation zone, are they? And it's, uh, you know, was it four or five points, something like that? It's, uh, they could be dragged into it easily. They did, of course, win at West Brom earlier this month. So, and that was a that was a pretty solid solid win for them. But generally speaking, not been a good time for Fulham recently. You wouldn't expect them to come to Old Trafford and get anything at all. I mean, that whole point about them being near the relegation zone means there are definitely other priorities right now. And so, if it's a if it's a case of a few players on the border of injury not injury that they will be arrested a few key key players may be arrested too they'll have their minds on other key games coming up not not least that game against West Ham in midweek that Fulham have got which will be a crucial one for them so uh, I, I see Fulham's focus being slightly elsewhere of course United's will be too but it all points to a comfortable victory for the home side for me. Oh good. Well, I'm sure all our listeners will be reassured and comforted by that prediction. Yeah, I mean it's hard it's hard to see anything other than that, isn't it? I mean the only thing is there will be some rotation. It will probably be a slightly less effective United performance. It'll probably be a bit more frustrating. But you know, Van Persie will be on the bench, it'll all be fine. Well, that's all we need, really. That's all we need. Uh, yes, there will definitely be some change. I think Rooney should play, but maybe Kagawa needs to play as well. They both need to get some minutes, and, and you expect Smalling and Jones to play in some fashion, and Lindegaard will come in. So there will be at least six or seven changes, I think. Maybe maybe more. Uh, who, know, who knows? But there are definitely some players on the fringes that need time, and Ferguson will use that. Especially with a Premier League fixture coming up on the Wednesday. They play Southampton at Old Trafford. A Wednesday night Premier League fixture. It's always fun, isn't it, as a, as a, as a fan. I always find them pretty exciting for some reason. There's something special about midweek fixtures in the league. Southampton have just replaced their manager. Pretty decent performance. The first performance of their new manager uh, against Everton the other day. Definitely hit something like form. Unbeaten in seven, I think. Right, right. I mean, they'd only lost one in 12 or something before Nigel Adkins was booted out for Mauricio Pochettino, who's who's come in and, and done all the right things PR-wise to try and quell the, the protest that was about to happen, apparently. When it comes to ridiculous sackings, that's a pretty ridiculous sacking. Here's a manager who's failed only because he raised expectations too high. Well, he hasn't failed either. There's no no, right. no certainty that they're going down this season. There's a lot of dross at the bottom end of the Premier League and they've got goal scorers in that squad and that is so vital. Talking of football cliches we were talking about earlier, but you know, you've know, you got Ricky Lambert, you've got a chance in a relegation scrap. 
Right, yeah. I mean, it's been slightly bizarrely run anyway since the summer. They spent so much money on Gaston Ramirez and he'll be there for a season max, right, before he moves on in the summer, uh, whether Southampton stay up or, or not, you know, not not a player that should be at Southampton. And But they play some decent football. It was, a, it was an interesting game against Everton in that, you know, it, the quality overall was pretty low and, and Everton were very poor, but, but Southampton, Southampton dominated the game. So they played pretty well. They've got something. They definitely gave us a game earlier in the season didn't they and uh, so be an interesting game but uh, again can't see beyond a comfortable United victory yeah I, I think we're going to win both these games I don't think either of them are going to be comfortable because I think we're pretty bad at being comfortable this season although you know if there were ever two fixtures we should be comfortable in it's them Actually, talking of how the season's been going so far, I think it'd be remiss of us not to point uh, Rankcast listeners who haven't checked it out in the direction of a 26-minute interview that's available on the Sky Sports website that Jeff Shreves did with Robin Van Persie. And if you have not fallen completely, ridiculously, besottedly head over heels in love with our Dutch centre-forward yet, uh, you will do by the end of that. His joy at being at United, his handling of Shreves' slightly probing questions about Arsenal, and his sort of respect that he managed to to hold his old club in whilst at the same time making it very clear that he's extremely delighted to be where he is it's a heck of a brilliant interview describes himself at one point as like a kid in a sweet shop of being at man united enough to make any reds heart lift i think it's fair to say uh, no, it's, it's lovely stuff. Uh, not quite making up for the disaster that is Sky Sports coverage generally. Sky Sports website reporting on the uh, aforementioned Swansea-Chelsea debacle with uh, Eden Hazard says, Footballer turned actor Eric Cantona, who was banned for eight months following his 1995 Kung Fu kick on Crystal Palace supporter, tweeted, quote, Wow, Eden Hazard. End quote. Now, as far as I remember, Eric Cantona doesn't have a Twitter account. You know, when, when I met up with uh, my best mates, Eric, earlier this season, uh, he didn't tell me he had a Twitter account. I'm pretty sure that doesn't exist. There is a, an account which has generated a very large number of followers recently purporting to be Eric Cantona. Just point this out to you, Ed. Uh, see, I don't know if you check this out for yourself. In, in the chap's bio, it says, former Premier League footballer Eric Cantona. If you believe that Eric Cantona would have the words former Premier League footballer in his bio. You are insane. I am pretty confident that that's not Eric Cantona. Also, he asked for retweets within the first five tweets. That's how you tell it's a parody account, folks. I mean, not a parody account, but a fake account. Indeed. Very, very surprising and sad to see that Sky Sports appear to believe that that's actually Eric Cantona. Actually, Sky Sports are the one group of people that you would expect to be myopic enough to believe that Eric Cantona would describe himself as a former Premier League footballer. Because football was only invented in 1992. Clearly. So, Ed, prediction time. I think United will beat Fulham 3-1 and beat Southampton 2-0. That one, who's going to score that one then, Ed? Is that why you've gone for one? got to be Dimitar, hasn't it? It's got to be Dimitar. They've got to let him score. Just like the idea of Rio saying, go on, lad, get yourself one. Yeah, I, I think probably 2-0 against Fulham because I think Dimitar will miss his chances. Um, and Southampton, I don't know. It's got banana skin written on that, I think. I think I'm going back. We're going back 3-2 styles, like a late Van Bursey winner like there was uh, at the other Southampton game. Very good. So uh, I guess that wraps it up for another episode of the Rankcast. And if you want to get hold of us before we do this all again this time next week, you can get me at UTD Rantcast. You can get Ed at United Rant. You can find us both at unitedrant.co.uk or on facebook.com slash United Rant. If you want to leave us a donation to help with the running cost of the show, which is much appreciated. 
and thank you incredibly much to anyone that's done that at any point since we we started doing that and charlie morgan's got some money coming his way yeah so charlie if you're listening it's unitedrant.co.uk slash donate and eden if you want to make a contribution to the ball boys fund of manchester that's where you can do that as well we'll make sure the money definitely definitely gets there absolutely if you fancy it you can leave us a review on itunes because that helps us out super a lot all right, well, I'm looking forward to two victories for United in the coming week. No drama, nice easy, and, uh, and we'll see you next time. That's all, folks. 